Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, kids, put your crayons away. It's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rebel Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome, eager students, to another edition of the Star Seminar. We are your PhDs of pigskin punditry. I am Rebel Rouser, and with me is the great Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? I am doing well. Um, you know, it's uh, it's kind of a tough time with everything going on in in a Cowboys Nation, but I'm uh, just uh, plugging through, holding up okay, um, keeping myself hydrated. But uh, good. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I'm I'm really excited about the off season because that's a fun time for me, and I know you enjoy it too. Um, so I actually enjoy the off season more than I do the regular season. I think you're so weird like that. I mean, I get enjoying the off season, but more than the regular season. I mean, I don't know, Rabs. It's something's wrong with you with that one. Um, I I think partially it's because there's so much possibility, and 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 because like the draft involves all the other 31 teams. Um, there there are so many so many different possible like solutions to the equation. And it, I just find that fascinating. Whereas during the regular season, you kind of, you know who you're going to be playing and, and every week is, I mean, every week is different because the outcome of the game is different, but every week also follows the same kind of rhythm. And, um, and ultimately every season ends up in disappointment. Whereas the off season oftentimes ends up not, not, not nearly as disappointing. So that's part of it too. I think there's, I think there's just a lot more hope in the off season. Uh, and I and I really I really enjoy I really enjoy that. No, that's that's a that's fair. You know, definitely there's definitely you know a lot more going on. And um, speaking of a lot going on, uh, what do we have going on today? Well, very interestingly, we've decided that there's so much happening in Cowboys Nation, as you were just talking about. That what we've decided to do is go off our regular syllabus. We were going to have a guest lecturer, John Owning, come in today. We decided instead, you know what? We're going to uh, just uh, stop and address some of these hot topic issues because they need to be addressed. So I thought we'd just take a take a day here and say, you know what? Let's go off syllabus. Let's just talk about what's going on. So that's what we're going to do, my friend. All right. But before we do that, actually, there's some breaking news that I want to address. And that is that there are rumors that the Cowboys have been seeking a trade for Leo Collins. Uh, it's interesting, interesting development, particularly in light of all the other things that we're going to talk about in a little minute uh, about, you know, all the other 
potential trades or cuts. So how are you feeling about this new piece of news? The fact that they might be trying to trade Lael. You know, this is actually one of the first pieces of news that I actually am behind them with. Um, you know, no, interesting. You know, he is a good player. But when you look at what the Cowboys have, and, and so Collins' is contract, they got him for three more years. It's 10 mil per year. Uh, they got it. They already have about 13, 13 million in in bonus money already tied up that he's getting one way or another. So I mean that they got to account for that. That's that's done. But we're looking that we're talking about a player that's going to cost them an additional ten million per season for the next three years. And you know, and when you look at wh- what type of player Collins is, if if he was to hit the market, I think that he's going to probably be able to draw in about maybe twelve to. F- to 14. I'm just guessing. I don't, I don't. So there would be good reasons for a team to come knocking on the Cowboys door and, and, you know, and inquire about Collins and for Dallas, you know, they have the depth that we all saw what Terrence still could do. And I know a lot of people will say, well, he's not loyal Collins and okay, that's fine. But I'm not seeing like a big difference between them. I mean, Terrence still did, a really good job. So for me, I like this move. If, if we can get some money off the books and maybe even get, you know, a, a decent draft, you know, pick from it. I mean, I don't know what he would, would get, but, uh, it's, it's, it's one, it's a move I could support. Uh, where do you feel on this one? I, I'm in agreement with you on this one. Um, I think that Leo Collins is a declining player. I felt, I mean, I, it's hard to say exactly, but I, I know I got in some Twitter kerfluffles last year uh, when, you know, they were bringing Steele in, in and then, you know, and then they brought Collins in. There's, it seems like this sort of weird indecision around the Minnesota and Denver games in that period of the year about who was going to be starting. And, um, and, I, and people were like, Leo Collins is great. I'm like, how do, how do we know? We haven't seen him play in over a year. And there's no, there's no evidence like right now that he's a great player. He used to be, he was, you know, he had some great moments in 2019, but that's a long time ago in a football player's life and Mm -hmm. the the career cycle of a football player. And he, you know, he he had a couple of major lower body injuries and, um, and so there's, and he's on, he's on the wrong side of, you know, 28. So he's, he's in decline. And so I think one of the patterns we're going to notice with all these cuts and keeps that we're talking about is that that the Cowboys don't want to pay premium uh, money for a declining player. Now, when I, when I talk about premium money, I think it, one of the things you just mentioned was that his current contract is not a bad contract. It's not an onerous contract. Mm-hmm. People are always getting on the Cowboys for overpaying their guys. I think two of the contracts where that's not the case are the Tyron Smith and Leo Collins contracts, which is precisely why Tyron's going to remain on the team uh, because he is also a declining player. And so, um, I think that's exactly why, as you just mentioned, why there may be a trade market for him, because even though he's declining, um, they have a, they, they're lucky to have uh, an adequate replacement for him. And, um, but his contract isn't so onerous that it's untradeable. And so, you know, this, if they're going to do something like this, this is precisely the time to do that. And they may only get a third day pick. They may get a fourth rounder. I would like to see them get more, but you know, I mean, the, the league knows that if they, if they don't do this, they're probably going to have to cut him because I do think that they want to bring Terrence Steele in and begin to transition the, the offensive line. 
Um, so this is, again, one of those things that it doesn't surprise me, you know, the old adage, um, and I'll probably talk about this later in our, in our episode, because I think it's a really important thing to, to remind ourselves of all the time is follow the money. And he's making he's making more money than his play merits right now. Yeah, and are you comfortable with the Cowboys' depth at the offensive line? Because, I mean, we, the offensive line was a big issue for the Cowboys last year, and so now we're actually discussing maybe getting rid of a, a viable tackle. Um, but you know, you don't need to have three starting tackles on your team. I mean, I think you can get by with you know get, there there are other players you could bring in to play the, you know, the swing and you don't have to invest so much, but sorry, you, you're okay giving up that kind of depth. I mean, you never like to give up that kind of depth, but I, I think the other thing to, to, to think about is, you know, we heard, we heard reports maybe a week or so ago that, that, that we, we've known for a long time that the Cowboys uh, coaching staff loves Terrence Steele, loves his work ethic and loves how hard he's worked to improve. I don't know. They feel the same way about Leo Collins, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, they may even feel the opposite about Leo Collins, and um, so we were hear- we, hear- we were hearing rumors that they were going to let the two guys compete for the starting position in camp or during during the off season. And so it, it, it's pretty clear that, that the thing was already up for grabs. And I think an open question is: Would Leo Collins willingly accept a demotion to the swing tackle position? And can he even play swing tackle? I mean, if if we think about his two lower body injuries, what those are going to do is limit his uh, his, his sort of, you know, feet, so to speak, and his ability to mirror uh, really fast edge rushers. Uh, I think he was always a kind of power right tackle as opposed to a kind of athletic right tackle. And I'm, I don't know what those lower body injuries have done, but I, I, he, was, he was limited anyway, and they may have actually moved him past the envelope where he can be effective. Terrence Steele, on the other hand, is, a, is an athletic uh, guy who has the, has the ability to, to mirror really fast right tackles as, as long as he continues to improve and trust his technique. So, you know, I think you're replacing an ascending player or a descending player rather, who's, uh, who's got a hefty contract with an ascending player who doesn't, and who is probably actually when it comes to it, a better athlete. One of the things I wonder, honestly, Danny is if people think Leo Collins is better just simply because, and this is not just true of Leo Collins. One of the things that, that frustrates me the most about, about, um, fans is a guy is better because he was drafted a higher. I mean, I know Leo Collins was not drafted, right? I understand that, but, but you know, it, uh, if it wasn't for that unfortunate sort of series of events that happened immediately before the draft, he would have been a first, right, right. first round pick and probably a top 15 pick, maybe even top 10 pick. And so he has a certain blue chip pedigree that, that he brought with him that has, he's continued to sort of carry. Whereas Terrence Steele was an unknown, was you know a, a camp free agent, you know, and sort of worked his way into everything he's got. And so people are always going to think that Leo Collins is a better player just simply because uh, when he first entered their consciousness, he had a higher pedigree. And I think right now, I, I think a strong argument can be made that that Terrence Steele's a better player. And I'm going to make one more point, and then I'll shut up and let you. <laughs> offer <laughs> offer some offer some analysis. I think there were some important aspects of the Cowboys' offense, and particularly their their ability to like run pin and pulls and run um and run outside that they could no longer do once Terrence Steele was out of the lineup. So there were there were a lot. They had incredible success in the first six games or so, uh, where the tight ends would block down. Sometimes and sometimes either the tackle and or the tackle would block down, but oftentimes like the tight ends would block down and tackle and guard would pull around and and lead 
a sweep on the outside. And Terrence Steele has the athleticism to make that happen. And Leo Collins does not, and they stopped doing that. And so there was a, a really important ingredient in their outside running game that sort of stopped when um, Leo Collins replaced Terrence Steele in the lineup. Now, it could be, we could argue that that stopped because Zeke got injured at the same time, and that may be the reason it stopped. But nonetheless, it did. And I think that was a really important component of the offense because there were some really big plays that happened as a result, and it really forced the front seven of opposing defenses to play, um, to play like laterally, right? They, they had, they knew they had to, to, to sort of cover sideline to sideline. And that kind of stopped once, um, once we saw Zeke get injured and Steele be replaced by, um, by Collins. Yeah. And you know, th- there were a lot of different things that happened. And when the Cowboys started off and started to not play as well, and, you know, you could point to different, different things about it. And, and while I, you know, wouldn't necessarily say, well, it's directly to, related to this, you know, Steele versus Collins. Mm-hmm. One thing we can say is that when Steele was out there, the Cowboys offense looked fantastic. I mean, look what they did early on. And so, I mean, it's not, it's, we, it, you know, it's not like they can't do it. So there's evidence of that already. And uh, I think the Cowboys are, would be fine with, with Steele at right tackle. And, we don't want a $10 million swing tackle. That we, so we, we need to do something with, you know, with him. So if, if in fact, Steele does win that job, I mean, you know, moving him to left guard seemed like what the, you know, the right choice would be. But who's to say, you know, that that would be, you know, we got a, a draft coming up. We, we don't know what kind of resources, we, you know, we could pull out of that. Um, you know, and speaking of which, Rabs, uh, you know, I have to ask you, did you happen to catch the Combine this weekend? That's actually a really interesting question. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed, but also somewhat proud to say no. I actually didn't watch a single minute of the what? Combine. What? What? I know, I know, I know. Um, so here's here's why. Uh, you know, for years I used to watch all of the Combine, and, and the parts that I didn't watch I was following assiduously on Twitter or, you know, following up with those those particular prospects. And um, several years ago, draft fatigue started becoming a very real thing for me. And the reality is I love the NFL draft. I've always loved the NFL draft. I've, you know, subscribed to draft, um, you know, draft magazines and Joel, Joel Bush bombs, you know, draft magazine way, way back in the day. And um, I, it's, it's like my favorite weekend of the sports year, probably every year is draft weekend. Um, but the, but there's so much interest in the draft and there's so much hype about the draft that I, I tend to get fatigued well before April even. And so um, what I actually started doing a couple of years ago quite intentionally was just ignoring the draft, ignoring prospects and waiting until April. And so what I do is I wait till April and then I study hard all of April and I, I find that I know just as much about the prospects then as I did when I started in January or February. And I enjoy the, the draft even more. And I, it feels fresh to me. I'm not exhausted by all the possibilities and all the arguing about who they're going to take at number 24 and all that kind of stuff. So I really just try to stay out of it. So unfortunately, what that means is I don't have a lot to offer on the combine. I heard some, you know, I heard some general things. So um, I'm gonna have to ask you, what did you think? Uh, you know, I, I get the sense that you spent some of the weekend um, watching the underwear Olympics. So Give me some general impressions. Um, tell, tell me about this draft class. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I did watch it. Uh, had it on my TV all weekend and, you know, 
Uh, first, I want to say, though, I you know, it's an interesting strategy that you have with uh, with your approach there, because, uh, you know, I, I could I totally understand because it's, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, you just get a, you get too much of it. And and it is it is starts to get a little bit, you know, uh, overwhelming toward the end. But I guess if you just only start in April, then that wouldn't be the case. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I commend you for your your approach. I think um I usually don't start this early. I will be starting probably close to around this time, but for for some reason I've just got into it a little earlier than normal. Uh, maybe it's just I'm kind of craving for something, um, something forward thinking, you know, something looking ahead and trying to. The sooner we get to the draft, the sooner we can just kind of put things behind behind us. But of course, you know, we still got free agency to deal with, so. Can't get too far ahead of ourselves, but nonetheless, I did. I did watch the combine. Um, I was, you know, what I, I was surprised with some things. I overall, from just you know the research that I've been doing, I haven't been too impressed with the class in general, especially up, up top. Uh, there's you know there's just no like you know players that are just really jumping at you, and and um. You know, no consensus number one right now. You could have you have a tackle number one in some people's rankings. You'd have one of the edge rushers mm-hmm. on someone else. Um, certainly, no quarterbacks that are, you know, making anybody crazy. Even though that you know that could all change toward toward the end. But the thing that I was most impressed with, first off, I you know, I have a clear understanding why the Georgia Bulldogs are national champions because boy, e- no kidding. Every player they rolled out there just like. I mean, it was just, you know, impressed one guy after the next. I, I thought that it'd be like, you know, you'd have your good ones and you have, yeah, they're pretty good. But it was just everybody that they were, I was seeing. It's just like, I was really impressed. Just amazing defense they had. So, I mean, and it started with, you know, um, you know, Jordan Davis, you know, because he definitely showed out, you know, his athleticism was you know, better than what people were expecting. I mean, a guy that size, I know a lot. He was one of the first guys I watched and thought, well, that, you know, he would be great to have, but I don't think there's any chance that he makes it. And of course, over the last few weeks, nobody's really putting much stock behind the idea of, you know, defensive tackle and for, you know, with that late, of course, you know, he is, he's not, a, he's not a three tech. He's, you know, he's, he's a big boy. So, and who takes, you know, it's rare that you see those guys, you know, taken very early. So, but I totally, he's back in the mix for me as far as if he's someone who makes it that far. I mean, that just, mm-hmm. he's just a, you know, really athletic player for a guy his size. So that's, you know, that's one guy. And, you know, another one, an, another couple guys I like too is uh, the other Georgia linebackers. The, you know, not uh, Nicobe Dean, who's projected to be a first rounder, but, uh, Quay Walker and uh, Channing Notendel, that those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was watching them, and the, when they were doing their drills, it just the, they were just so smooth. And I mean, one thing I, I will say too, it, not just the, the Bulldog guys, the linebacker class. There are going to be some really good choices, on, you know, on day two. So, as much as I was like interested in a Kobe Dean possibly early. I don't know so much that I think that just because of how deep it is and how you can get, you know, an off-ball linebacker for a cheaper price because there's there's so many, you know, good options. So that's another thing I was impressed with too, was uh, the linebacker class, and I also like the receivers. 
I think there's receivers to be found everywhere, you know, whether it's early or, you know, later. There are a lot a lot of receivers really impressed impressed me and I makes me think more about like what would be the best use of resources when you're starting to try to balance things. So definitely have uh, my eye on a few guys. But those are kind of the big ones. Um, I guess another one too is I wasn't overly impressed with the tight end group, even though people have been saying it's a, it's a good class. Not really seeing that myself. I mean, nobody, because one thing I'm always considering then is how well can they block because we know the Cowboys are looking at those sort of things. There's a lot of athletic space tight ends that are scattered around, but not so much guys that you can really count on to, you know, to block for you. So not too thrilled about what, you know, what, what's there at tight end, but that was my initial impression. So I, overall, I think I, I still agree. Not, not great top heavy, but it's a lot deeper than I realized. There's, there's definitely, I'm not going to be unhappy with the talent level that's going to be available at 24. 24 and and through the you know day two as well so uh, a lot of good players so uh, you know i'm real excited you know going forward and into uh more of this draft stuff a couple observations and then another question for you um you know when you were talking about all the amazing players they had on the georgia defense you know what listening to some of the you know some of the um reports from from the combine I was struck by how Georgia and their just incredible like truckload of, of athletes reminded me of like early 2000s Miami when Miami was just loaded and had like, you know, their second stringers were NFL starter quality guys. And um, that, I mean, the, the Georgia defense was so, so good, so talented, just loaded with five star guys dripping, dripping with, you know, uh, elite athleticism. And in thinking about that again, the most amazing thing that may have happened last year during the college football season was Georgia beating, or excuse me, Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game, because the reality is Georgia was so much better than everybody else. That was uh, in retrospect, a, a sort of shocking outcome when you, when you, when you really think about it, because Georgia was so, so good. Um, I, actually, I have a follow-up question also is uh, any thoughts on the defensive um, line, specifically the edge rusher class? Uh you know, what I think of the edge rusher class is I like the guys up early. I think there's probably, I think, six of them um, scattered around first round. I think, you know, the, the top guy, you know, is, uh, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, um, the Michigan guy. And I think uh, the Oregon guy's starting to slide, you know, a little bit. And I think mm-hmm. he, I don't think he did there's some things he didn't do and i've been hearing some things with him too as far as people are questioning his work ethic or and so you know Thibodeau could slide a little bit but then you got there's a a good list and i you know i love the love the georgia guy you know trayvon walker is my edge three um really i mean he had a really good senior bowl and uh he he does looking at him i don't don't look at him as like they're your prototypical type edge rusher he doesn't have a lot of bend to him but he's just so athletic and he's so powerful. And you just, uh, you know, the tape just, you know, says it all. And just very impressed with him. It gets a little murky after that. I, I love, you know, Jermaine Johnson. He's probably, he's my edge for um, the other Michigan guy, David Ojabu and um, the Purdue guy, George Karlofkis. I don't know exactly what I think about them. Like I wouldn't be upset, I guess, at 24, but they're not my favorites. 
but all these guys, I mean, those guys right there are, I think, in a, in a good tier. But I, I think he starts to drop off. And I've been trying to muster up some love for some other guys that, you know, could be some day two guys. But haven't really found that yet. So that's my thinking with Edge is a lot of good choices early. Um, but then it gets a little bit kind of scarce as you, you know, as you move on. One of the reasons why I asked that question is um, that the Cowboys historically have um, drafted uh, positions when that position is deep during the draft. And one of the things the Cowboys seem obsessed with is getting value, quote unquote, value in the draft. It's one of the reasons why they spent so many years drafting injured second rounders who they had first round tags on, if not for the injury. Um, and so one of the other ways in which they try to squeeze value out of the draft is by drafting um, positions that are really deep during a given draft. And this year I'm hearing a lot about the positions that are deep are wide receiver and defensive line, which actually, which is really interesting given the fact that everybody right now is talking um, quite loudly and furiously all at the same time about what's happening with the Cowboys receivers and their defensive line. Um, but if you, if you study the Cowboys, you realize that, that, a lot of times they're going to target guys at those deep positions. They did that with the cornerback class the year they drafted Cheeto, for example. And they did that with the defensive end class the year they, they, they drafted um, Taco. It's got the wrong guy. Um, and, but they, they've known for, for some time now, which uh, positions are going to be deep in this draft and where they can get value and where they can get a good player and, and where they can get a good player if they don't spend their premium pick. Uh, i.e. their first round pick at that particular position and so given what i'm hearing about the draft class it doesn't surprise me at all that there have been discussions internally uh, in dallas about getting rid of established players at those same positions so you got to recycle you got to find find a a new player who's going to be able to play you know much much more cheaply um that's the that's the way of the nfl and so um i think maybe that might not be a bad way for us to transition into talking about like what's been going on lately, what everyone else is, is, you know, been talking pretty heatedly about, which is that there's a lot of really interesting rumors coming out of, um, out of the star about who might be let go and um, who might, who might be retained. You know, I try to be open-minded with this. And certainly if, if you're able to replenish to the draft and uh, especially at a, at one of those money five positions, uh, you know, where you could really save some money, then that would be, you know, a wise thing to do. Uh, one of the issues I have with that is, you know, I don't, we don't know exactly, you know, who's going to be available at, at, at 24. And you know, you only get one shot really to, to, to replace one of those guys. So let's, let me ask you this then. Um, let's just, let's start things off with, with Amari Cooper, because there are some, some wide receiver options that, that I could see there step in and, and be, a number one guy. So that's certainly a possibility. So let's just uh, tell me your thoughts on this Amari Cooper thing and how the Cowboys are dealing with it. Um, a couple couple things uh, jumped to mind. The first is that during the season and even before when C.D. Lamb was drafted, people were immediately talking about Oh, good. Let's try to trade Amari and get and get an asset, and and then we'll have Lamb and Gallup be our be our wide receiver pair. We heard that a lot, and then that sort of you know that 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 sort of has come and gone over the last you know two years when they've had all three of those receivers. So, I mean, this is something that people have talked about. 
Um, and one of the reasons why this is something that can even be, a, I think, a subject of conversation is because Amari is a is a, a brilliant, brilliant player who doesn't always play brilliantly. I think there's a couple things going going on here. One is he's inconsistent. Um, you know, we, we've seen that we've seen him have games like he did in, uh, I guess it was 2019 against Philadelphia where, you know, he caught two touchdowns and just burned them repeatedly. And, and in, in many ways, single-handedly won the game with a, a bunch of long touchdown passes. And so that Amari, I think, because that was pretty early in his time in, in Dallas sort of became the Amari that everybody imagines. But there's also been, there's also the Amari who, who doesn't like to play physically and vanishes in games. It's really interesting that they brought Cooper in, after years of Des Bryant, I think Des Bryant being an outspoken guy who would fight anybody um, for anything because that's how he uh, has learned to survive in this world. Um, and, and it was so magnificent to see a guy who wouldn't quit no matter what under any circumstances, even if he, you know, even if he was injured or, you know, what have you. Um, but, but that, that kind of personality also can wear thin. I think that they, they kind of wanted to get rid of that because it was a distraction and, you know, and, and there were, you know, there's always like lots of chirping during, during practice and all kinds of other things, but there's no doubt about that Des Bryant was a dog and, um, and his, his passion and his, that quality in him um, impacted the offense when he was at his zenith, like in 13 and 14, especially. And so then they bring on mild-mannered, studious, chess-playing Amari Cooper, and everyone says, what a, what, a, what a great change of pace this is, what a great breath of fresh air this is. It's not, it's not Des Bryant, you know, always saying, give me the ball, and, and, and you know, and getting in, getting in fights with guys and, you know, wanting to compete so hard with guys and beat them that, that he ends up, you know, losing the thread of the game or the play. Because those things were happening with Des. Sometimes he, you could get it, you could get him in his head, and he just wanted to beat you rather than execute. And so I think that I think that for a while that was a really good quality that Amari brought. But I think the the reality is Amari's not a dog, and I think that's one of the reasons why he ended up uh, leaving in Oakland. And I think that's ultimately one of the reasons why he ended up, um, you know, being on the, on the trade table or on the cut table potentially here in Dallas is uh, I don't think he brings a, a lot of passion. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, frankly, that he loves the game. I think he may be really, really, really good at it. And, uh, and listen, let's be clear. He's a deluxe talent. He's, I think the best route runner in Cowboys history. Right. So I'm not, I'm not taking him lightly. I just think that there's some qualities that he doesn't have that a number one receiver has. And other people have done, done the homework here. You know, Bob Sturm did a really nice piece recently. He was just sort of, sort of showing where, where Amari ranks. He's getting paid like a top five guy and he ranks like 27th in terms of like average, average yards per game, numbers of catches, all, all, all those, all, there's a whole variety of stats that, that, that show that. And so I, I think ultimately you're paying a guy to be that kind of you know, alpha, alpha receiver. And he's not really that alpha receiver. He's got alpha talent, but he doesn't play to his size. He doesn't body people. He doesn't play that physically. Does he, he doesn't seek out contact. Um, you, you know, he, he, uh, he makes big, big plays, but he doesn't like change the game from a kind of emotional standpoint, usually um, in the way that like Des Bryant did. And I think ultimately he doesn't and hasn't been, playing up to his contract. And so it actually doesn't surprise me in the slightest that they'd be thinking about this. One other, one other point to make about this is I believe they, they must have had internal conversations 
before the draft the draft in 2020 when they drafted cd lamb what if lamb falls to us what if one of those first round receivers falls to us um we all know they were looking at kalo and chase on but there was always a, there was always a chance that you know someone like cd lamb could fall they, they did do their homework and they prepared for that and then they, of course you have to ask okay then we'll have three like quality quality receivers is that too much at, at one position and if so what do we do and i think that they you know they saw in the contract that they had written with Amari that the guaranteed money would be up after two years and they had an out. And if they needed to, if they needed to draft CD lamb, they had an out with Amari. And so Amari was going to be the one who, who left. And so um, unless he lived up to that, to that billing and, and because he hasn't, it makes perfect sense. And, and frankly, I think this was an escape hatch that was there all along and the writing was on the wall. Although it's always been there. It was just people, people didn't want to see it. The thing that, really does it for me with with Amari is I think that he's you know he he is a true professional and the sense of he, he is a a student of his craft he's and you, you said he's you know he is he is probably the most talented route runner the Cowboys have ever had and um and I really think that while his numbers are not what they need to be I don't necessarily know if I'm seeing anything that's telling me that he is not a great receiver still. And I think when I look back and I'm, you know, watching the tape and I'm seeing everything, a lot of what's happened is, you know, it, it just depends on what Dak's choosing to do with the ball. And I know that means everything. And that's, I mean, if Dak's not going to throw him the ball, then Amari Cooper is just not valuable to this, this team, regardless of what we think about him. That is just the reality of it, and and he is he's you know he's got CD Lamb now, and and, and Dalton Schultz is a thing, and um, you know and and you know Michael Gallup too, if if you know, but looks like he may stick around, but but I don't think that's the right choice. I think that Cooper provides a a, a certain level of separation that's just not readily available where you can go grab, and I think Dak Prescott is the kind of quarterback that needs that separation, you know, to feel comfortable. And, you know, they went out and got a guy like Cooper for him. And I think that if Dak and, and Amari can have their chemistry back, that it's really something that I would not want to live without it. For just example, um, perhaps I, I have an article came out um, yesterday, Thursday, that kind of uh, maps out the targets and just kind of shows you, you know, what's, you know, that, you know, they're not looking at Amari and tells you what happens when they do and when they don't. And one thing is like when Prescott last season, before Prescott got hurt, he was looking for him a lot and the, the offense was, was humming. And then this season, all of a sudden there came a point where just, he was not someone that Prescott was looking for. And then, you know, what happened with our offense and our passing yards were just, it was just dreadful. So I I understand the thinking behind, well, if you're not getting this, then why pay this? Uh, but I really think that there's still a lot with Cooper, and I'm not sure that I'd be willing to just move on from that. So that's that's my feeling on Amari Cooper. 
So, so let me let me uh, add one other thing about Amari, which is that when he was brought in here, he was brought in here in 18. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was still the last year of this of Scott Linehan as offensive coordinator because um, um, Boy Wonder became the offensive coordinator in 19. I remember we were really, really excited at the beginning of the year because there were all kinds of, uh, you know, sort of nuances to the offense that we had we'd been wanting to see from the Linehan offense. So Amari came here um, under Linehan. Linehan was always famous for being a star-based offensive coordinator. His offenses and all of his stops have always relied on elite running back, elite wide receiver, elite quarterback, et cetera. And, and, and so in league circles, he's sort of known as one of those guys who's a star, who relies on his stars to make plays and, and the offense funnels the ball to his stars. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's one of the things he he's always been known for. So Amari came here and he came into an offense that was designed to funnel the ball to him as the lead receiver. Right. And so then Kellen Moore comes in and, and, and becomes a new offensive coordinator. And Kellen Moore obviously learned a lot from Linehan. He spent, you know, all of his career up, up to that point with Linehan, various stops in Detroit and here in Dallas. But one of the things I think that's different about Kellen Moore also is he wants to just have Dak throw to the guy who's open depending on, depending on what the defense does. And so um, in, in some ways, in, in what you were just laying out there, uh, which makes perfect sense. But in some ways, you, you're also making an argument to get rid of Amari Cooper because Amari Cooper um, in, doesn't belong in an offense that's, decide, that's, that's designed rather to distribute the ball to whoever's open, right? If you're going to pay Amari Cooper to be a, a lead receiver, then you need to have an offense that features a lead receiver. And I don't think that's the Cowboys' offense right now. So the, the, the Cowboys' offense, I think, is, is, is leaning toward being one where you have, you know, four receivers, all of whom are pretty good, um, and you can throw to any of them. And so uh, – in, in that kind of offense, you know, I think that they discovered, oh, we have Kellen Moore. Oh, Kellen Moore will do the same thing that Linehan did. And then they discovered maybe in 19 or 20, oh, wait a second, maybe this isn't, this isn't uh, quite the same thing. And then last year, I think it really, it really hit home for them. So um, I, listen, I mean, if they keep, I, I'm not happy about them losing Amari Cooper. I think he's, I, I love him as a person and as a player. I have nothing against him. I'm just trying to, to, to make an argument for why I think that they um, want to move on because uh, I think that, I think he doesn't fit into the structure. And I think that paying someone to be a lead dog, when you have an offense that doesn't in some ways create a lead dog, um, this just, it doesn't make sense from a, from a, a resource allocation perspective. Yeah, no, you know, that that's, that's, that's a good point. That's a good, good thing to lay out, lay out here because, that's what we want to do is we want to really try to, to understand, you know, what the Cowboys could be thinking. And yeah, maybe that's the direction they want to go. They don't want to have a star receiver and they just want to fill it in with different guys. And, you know, and a lot of this too is it's all Dak dependent. You know, it's, it comes down to what is going to work best with, with Prescott. And if it's having, you know, more guys rather than a, than a number one, then, that's the way to go. And, you know, and I guess that's why they made the commitment they did with Dalton Schultz, which, um, I, you know, you won't find anybody out there who is a bigger advocate of Dalton Schultz than I am. I mean, I, I from the moment he got his opportunity, you know, and to take on a larger role, I was extremely impressed from him uh, with him. I, 
I was hoping the Cowboys would have worked some deal prior to last year so they could maybe get them a, you know, a little cheaper. And, uh, you know, and then when they didn't, you know, I knew, I, I just figured that's it. That's the end of that. Bears won't, he'll get a good deal in the, in free agency this season. And I would, that's, that's all for Schultz. But then here we are. Schultz isn't leaving. He's sticking around. What, what, what do you think about that, Rabs? It's interesting because, you know, earlier when we were talking about some of your impressions from the combine, you were talking about the tight end class and how, um, you know, there weren't a lot of guys who were blockers. There were a lot of guys who were sort of puffed up wide receivers who, are, you know, who were like sort of split tight ends, you know, not, not a lot of inline Y type guys. And um, I think that Dalton Schultz is a rarity in today's NFL. He's a, he's the he's a guy. I mean, he's he's been lambasted for his blocking. Is he a deluxe blocker? No, he's not. He's not a Martellus Bennett, who was basically a third offensive tackle. But he's he's compared to you know Evan Ingram and, and those kinds of players. He's a really good blocker, right? And so the thing about Dalton Schultz is when he's on the field is he can line up and you don't know whether it's run or pass. He doesn't telegraph it because he can do both. And and whether he does both as well as some of the, you know, as some of the best guys in the league, whether he's a difference maker down the seam, I I think we can all all, uh, agree that he's not that. But if the Cowboys want to line up and and actually have people um, uncertain about what they're going to do, uh, especially, you know, when they can show the same look and run and pass out of that same, the same set, um, Dalton Schultz is, is, is a kind of rare commodity in the NFL because he does both really well. I mean, not, you know, at a, neither at an elite level, but he does both really well. So a couple things about Dalton Schultz. One, I think earlier in the year when, when we when in the wake of the new England game, people were talking a lot about how Belichick uh, was going to defend the Cowboys and then ultimately how he did defend the Cowboys. And, you know, one of the things that Belichick does is he takes away um, your biggest threat, right? And so, you know, people think, oh, he's going to he's going to try to make sure that Zeke doesn't go off or he's going to try to make sure because, of course, when Zeke was still playing well. Uh, he's going to try to make sure that Amari doesn't burn them deep or C.D. Lamb doesn't burn them deep. And in fact, he committed his resources to stopping Dalton Schultz. And so, I think you know, B- Belichick recognized that. Um, they could play shell coverage and probably and try to limit the other guys. It, it ultimately didn't work because you know they 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 you know the Cowboys had huge offensive day, but um, Dalton Schultz had a particularly good day because uh, he was he was the main target for Belichick and his and his defensive scheme. The other thing I want to point out, or, or just to remind everybody of, is some stuff we're hearing recently, which I which I believe, which is that uh, upwards of ten teams ha- had expressed interest in Schultz. Right. And so Schultz is a bum like everybody's, you know, everybody's tr- trying to make out. They can't believe that the Cowboys are willing to pay him that much money. The reality is um, the free agent market, he was probably going to make more uh, per year than than he's getting tagged for. Because, um, he, you know, we, we understand that sometimes oh, good players get paid like great players in free agency. OK, he's a good player, but he was going to get paid like a great player in free agency because I think the league and scouts in the league and defensive coaches in the league see value in him that fans don't because he's not a flashy dude. He's a kind of like slow, you know, white dude who doesn't, doesn't make great plays down the seam. You know, like he's, he's, he's not, he's not a, it's not a thrilling player. He's just a good solid player. But I think, I think the league, 
thinks a lot more highly of Dalton Schultz than a lot of Cowboy fans do. And I think that actually the Cowboys are paying less now by franchising him than they would if they were trying to compete for him on the open market. And we've heard, of course, that this is just a placeholder that ultimately they want to try to, you know, they want to try to come up with a long-term deal for him. And they want to come with a long-term deal for him because he's actually a valuable commodity. And I think that people are losing sight of that because he's not flashy or because somehow this is also connected to get, getting rid of, uh, of Amari Cooper. And I'm not entirely sure that they're related. I think they may be separate, separate ideas. I, I, don't, I don't think the Cowboys are thinking, oh, I know, we'll get rid of Amari and we'll replace him with, Dal- with Dalton. I think that they, they, need, they need receiving and they need, they need tight end play. And those are very separate issues. And... Uh, if we look at the if we look at tight end play, particularly in the wake of um, the news that's come out about Blake Jarwin's hip injury, which means he may he probably won't play next year, and it, frankly, maybe a Bo Jackson thing that ends his career. Suddenly, they would have been extremely thin at a position. I think that their offense depends on more than um, most lay fans really understand. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. You know, I mean that that was well said too, and I I think that. You know, Schultz is undervalued and uh, it's, you know, people remember, you know, they're always pointing out that he's not a very good blocker. And honestly, I mean, are they really watching closely? Because are, are they just pointing out the times where they see that he missed block and not realizing, the, you know, the, the all the snaps that he's in there and he's securing the, the edge and he's creating those those lanes and stuff. I mean, Schultz is a, is a solid blocker. He That's why he was brought in. He was He's a fundamentally sound blocker and he's the value he brings is is definitely important and it's you know it's important to Dak and I don't have any issue with with it I was surprised by it but I'm not going to complain about them keeping good football players and Schultz is a good football player he and he does his job well I don't think he's going to disappoint as far as you really know what you're you're getting in in him Um, you know he's pretty consistent he does the same thing Came in and came out. You know, you know what you're getting him. So, I'm okay with with the Schultz tag, and um, I'm curious to see what happens. I I do expect to see, you know, a multi-year deal. I don't know what it's going to end up costing the Cowboys in the long run, but when you hear that there's so many teams that are interested in him, that that says a lot. Uh, maybe he's a better blocker than people are willing to admit. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm fine with it. I I don't I'm. St- I'm still not sure about what they're doing with their wide receivers and, and how they're allocating their money. Cause if they're f- fixing to pay Gallup, what, what I'm hearing, you know, that's, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, it, like they're taking a step back with receivers. And I, I, I totally think a player like Michael Gallup and I, I you know, he's a great player. I love Michael Gallup. Um, great draft pick for sure. But I think that it's a lot easier to find a player like that. You know, on day two of the draft, then and then save yourself some twelve, thirteen million of cap space by doing that. But I don't think the Cowboys are going to go that route. There looks like they're close to working a deal, or you know, maybe by the time you know, people are hearing this, that's he's been signed. I mean, I don't know. So, thoughts on Gallup? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's a really interesting, that's a really interesting situation, Gallup. Again, I think that, I think there's some recency bias in people's feelings about Gallup. I think that, um, you know, he had a tough 2021 with injuries, a couple of big injuries. And, you know, he, he's, he's always had a little bit of an issue with drops. And I know that can be really frustrating to fans, especially in a year like, like this, where, you know, the offense was humming so much and then and they started to slow down a little bit. Um, I think, you know, if we think about if we think about the wide receivers on the team, when when they drafted CD Lamb, it totally changed the equation. They they had a really nice balanced pair of receivers where they had um, you know Cooper and Gallup both had different skill sets, different kinds of receivers, um, and then all of a sudden Lamb fell into their lap. I think the I think there it's it's a it's a very legitimate question. Like, do you actually to have your offense function at a high level? Do you actually need three receivers of that caliber? Right. And I'm not sure that you do. And so I think that, you know, we can argue endlessly, okay, so why don't you keep Cooper and not, and, and not keep Gallup? And I think there's a, there's a couple of things. One is I think Lamb is, is prepared to become the number one receiver and he's going to be a different kind of number one receiver than, than Cooper. Um, he was the number one receiver on the team last year in training camp. And then it didn't quite bear out in the second half of the season. I, I think that something happened to Lamb in that Kansas City game after his concussion. He just wasn't the same player. But if you remember the way, you know, the way he, the way he ended the New England game and he was on pace for, you know, 1300 yard season, et cetera. But I think even more importantly, like what the Cowboys see in him, he he's the things he can do physically. I think um, it just, it, 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 they're so astonishing. Like when, when we were at camp last year, Danny, when we were at camp last year, like we saw two or three times every, every, practice he made an incredible like catch in the corner of the end zone the back corner of the end zone over oftentimes over trevon diggs who was having an incredible camp himself i mean the the battles between those guys were legendary and you know diggs won some and and lamb won most but i mean it was like highlight play after highlight play after highlight play day after day after day and he was just playing in a stratosphere above anybody else and certainly far above uh, Amari Cooper. So I think that the Cowboys saw that and said, okay, this is guys, our number one receiver, probably now, if not going forward. 
um, didn't quite bear itself out in, in during the during the, the the year. But I think if again to go back to our conversation about the kind of offense they have, which distributes the ball to the guy who the defense um, is single covering essentially, um, that you know lamb can be you know lamb can be a a formidable number one type of receiver so then the question becomes okay why Gallup and why not cooper and i i think you know going to some of those earlier things uh that we talked about in terms of the deficiencies i think that they perceive not necessarily that i believe but that they perceive in, in amari's game but i also think that you know uh Gallup has been an incredible big play receiver. He's been their deep threat. Maybe not last year, but in the past, he's been their deep threat. Now, whether he can continue to be that player after, you know, a couple of lower body injuries this year remains to be seen. And I'm hoping that that those lower body injuries are somehow factored into this contract. Um, I don't have any hope that it will be, but I, 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 I any faith that it will be, but I hope that it, it would be. Um, but I, I think that there, like I said at the beginning, I think there's been some recency bias. And I think that, Gallup is a more um, complete wide receiver than a lot of people give him credit for, and particularly are, they're not giving him credit for it because uh, he didn't have, you know, he didn't have the greatest the greatest year this last year. And the previous year, obviously, he was limited by a slew of mediocre, um, you know, replacement level quarterbacks. Uh, but you know, like the, the Cowboys, one of the things that I think that the fans forget conveniently is we see them for the three hours of game time once a week and then if we're lucky enough we see a clip or two from practice and then if we're really lucky um, we see them in training camp um, which you know you and I had an opportunity to do last year and that's why we can we can talk about this but the Cowboys see them you know in practice every day they see them in meetings all the time and I think that the way that guys conduct themselves there which is totally outside of our of our sphere. And frankly, in the last couple of years, completely outside the media sphere of observation um, really has a huge role in whether they, you know, get another contract, whether the team wants to keep them on, et cetera. And I think Gallup is, is a, is a complete guy. Uh, and I think that he's one of those guys, not unlike Schultz, that the league values more highly than, than, than fans do right now. Yeah, no, that that's fair. And, you know, I, I, I can I can see that and so I got just straight up Rabs, would you would you give him thirteen per year? Would oh you? yeah, yeah yeah. So you're sure. you're okay with yeah. that? Let's... Yeah, I think in this market, this market that that's that's perfectly legitimate, especially uh, if you can front load that a little bit because Lamb is still cheap. Lamb's going to be cheap for three more years. Mm-hmm. So if you give him a three or four year deal, uh, the reality is by the time Lamb has to go up for a big contract. You'll have paid Gallup his guaranteed money. You can get rid of him. They're going to be drafting another receiver high in the next couple of years, probably anyway. Um, and and so you know, I mean, you just keep you keep you keep turning through. You know, you you always need three or four receivers. They've done a really good job of building that receiver room in the last couple of years, right? Um, and I think they're going to continue to do that. So I wouldn't be, it wouldn't shock me at all to see them get a receiver in the first couple of rounds of the draft and have that person develop for a year or two and and you know become a formidable person who ultimately replaces Gallup, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess when you look at it, it's you, if you think about, you know, having C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Dalton Schultz as, you know, guys that will be targets for Dak, I mean, that's not a bad starting point right there. So that's that's definitely something you can you can work with. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's not as bad as, as 
maybe some of us are making it seem so. Uh, I mean, and and again, just to say, like, if you ha- when you have three receivers, you can't, you can't. There's not enough balls really for all three of them plus Zeke plus Pollard. You know, I mean, I, I, one of the other things that that has come out that did come out of the combine that I heard about that I think plays into this all, overall equation now that we're talking about, like now that we, we're pulling back from looking at each of them individually and looking about how they all play, is that. We heard that, that they have interviewed almost every running back in the draft. Like they're really looking for another running back. And uh, what I'm hearing is the reason they're doing, I'm sure you've heard this too, that the reason they're doing that is because they kind of want to return Pollard to something not unlike his position at, at Memphis, where he was really more of a slot receiver. He, he actually was a lot more like Debo Samuel uh, in terms of the, the way he, the way he sort of split between running back and receiver. And so having Pollard as your backup running back where he runs the same plays as Zeke. So you can practice the same plays all week. So, which means that Pollard has to, you know, um, take his fair share of interior runs. Doesn't necessarily maximize his incredibly diverse um, sort of skill set. And so I think, I think what the Cowboys are looking to do also then is to um, find a, find a running back who can back up Zeke and take those interior runs and run this, you know, run the same, run the same plays and from the same play sheet as Zeke and then have Pollard be a kind of weapon. So like, let's say Zeke goes out, Pollard isn't required to then step in and be the backup running back. Pollard can continue to be the kind of Swiss army knife player. And then you put that other person in the pipeline. So if we think about that and we think about the larger sort of equation of, of the skill position players on offense, um, you know, so so then now Pollard is gonna is gonna be getting some wide receiver snaps as, as well. And so like, h- how many balls are there to go around? I mean, and so do you, in, from a, a a larger cap perspective, does it make sense to be paying that many receivers? Um, when when you really can't, given that you also want to run the ball, um, when you can, uh, you can't possibly distribute enough balls to those receivers to make the, your investment in them really worthwhile. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, I you know, I'm, it'd be interesting to see if they did, if they did that with Pollard and, you know, it would, it would be only fitting that they did and he would have like just some tremendous year in his last year of his, of his rookie deal. And, um, but yeah, you're right. There's, there is only so much, you know, targets to go around and you don't want to get yourself where you're so saturated that you really, it wouldn't even be smart to use draft capital for receivers, which, you know, you, you want to be open to be able to do that. So yeah, I, uh, I can see there, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to ra- rationalize it. I, I still am just anti walk away from Amari and, uh, but definitely there's some, some logic there and there's some things that you know could make sense and i mean i i just want to say this rabs to you know just to be fair i know we've been really harsh on the front office and and it's just been just really hard to understand some of the thinking you know going on there but i want to just ask you when has been the last time that you have been upset with them cutting something letting someone loose that's a really interesting question um, well, so here I am th- talking about how, you know, uh, it, it shouldn't be a surprise at all that they're cutting Amari. So if we, if we, if we follow the money, right, which has always been something when I was writing 
uh, I would always, you know, pen an article every year about this time of year, maybe a little earlier this time than this time of year, talking about following the money and looking at contracts and seeing who, who was making too much and, and who might be cut and also then who they would draft to replace them. Um, and if you follow the money, it's never a surprise when they cut somebody because, you know, there's always, there's always, there's a sort of like, you know, there's two, there's two sort of lines on the graph. One is uh, decline in play and the other is age. Right. And, and at some point the age and the decline in play, or actually let's, let's sort of, let's change that equation. There's, there's a decline in play because of age. And then there's also salary. And at some point um, salary begins to exceed the level of play um, in such a way that we, we can't believe that it's ever going to match it. And so if, if the Cowboys can get out without a lot of dead money at that point, they usually will. So that's all a long way of saying that I'm very rarely surprised when they cut somebody. Uh, I, I understand this is a business. Uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld said years ago that um, we root for the laundry and I've been rooting for the laundry for a long time. Players come, players go. The reality is I root for the, I root for the uniform and, you know, I, I obviously love the players, but, but I also understand that, you know, you can't hold on to guys too long. You know, the greatest coach in my lifetime, Bill Walsh, was famous for getting rid of a guy a year too early rather than a year too late. And I think that that's uh, an important philosophy to, to adhere to. So to answer your question, um, it would have to be, I don't, know that I, I don't know that I've ever been mad when they let someone go. I've been sad and I've been shocked probably only once in recent memory. And that was when they let go of Dan Bailey. I just simply didn't see that one coming. Mm. You know, he had been the best kicker in the league by a fairly substantial margin for a long time. Um, it looked like he would, it looked like, you know, he'd, he'd had a bit of a tough year. Um, they did it, like the way that they were conducting the, the, the sort of, uh, you know, the kicking drills in camp didn't give us any indication that it was an actual competition. And so when he didn't survive the final cut, I, I was flabbergasted. I just simply didn't see it coming. And, and that's very rare. You, or sometimes maybe you don't see it coming and you, and then you think about it a little bit like, okay, that makes sense. It, I mean, very rarely, if you're following the team closely, do you get surprised by any of these? Uh, that's the last one that truly, truly surprised me. So you're, t- um, you're telling me that the most shocking player release that you've seen in, re- in recent memory is the, is the kicker with the Cowboys. That's- yeah, because it was it was on what I didn't see coming. I mean, um, you know, he he had declined in play. I mean, so like ultimately he fit he fit the narrative. No, right? I'm he not making. Money I'm not saying it's declined play. It's a bad choice. I'm just want to point out the fact that that's the best we could really come up with with uh, this front office that is so terrible in all their decisions. Is is that's the one that's you know irks us the most? Is is a kicker? I mean, that would would that tell say rabs that maybe the front office we're, we're not giving them enough benefit of the doubt maybe um that's such a good question uh i mean the front office is good enough that this team has been for the most part a good team since about 2005 right so the last 17 years or so, they've they've had a couple of real stinker years when things just fell apart. When you know when when Romo broke his collarbone or when um, uh, when Dak got when Dak broke his ankle, right? Uh, there have been a couple of real stinker years. Um, but 
you know, for the most part, they've been a 500 or better team. And there's not a lot of teams that can say that they've been one of the most winning teams in the league. So I think that, I think there's, we, we get confused about a couple of things. We get confused about, about like winning, right? Like this has been a winning team. This is not a moribund franchise, like, you know, the Browns or one of those teams that uh, you know, the Jaguars who never win anything. This is a team that is always sort of for 500 and above. They're not five. They're not 13 and three often enough for people's, you know, for people's preference. Um, and of course they, they haven't won in the playoffs enough. And that's, that's the real key. The real key is they haven't won in the playoffs enough. Uh, so that's one thing like the, this is a winning franchise. And so the, it is a well-run franchise. That's, that's point a point B is we oftentimes confuse the front office, like who really is the front office. And so I will say that the front office is actually Will McClay and the scouts. I mean, he is the de facto GM. Uh, uh, I think that the, the the Cowboys have a really, really good group of scouts. And then Will McClay and Chris Hall and Lionel Vital. I mean, there's some really talented dudes who are on the personnel side. And so they do a tremendous job of drafting and talent acquisition. Um, I think that there are some problems in the ownership group. I think the, I think the, the ownership group uh, is inconsistent in their approach and um, is lazy, particularly when they've been good uh, and um, isn't, doesn't, doesn't play scared and, and doesn't strike fear into the, uh, the players and the coaches. They want to be everybody's pal. And so ultimately, I think that there's a culture problem. And the culture problem is that there's not enough fear to drive uh, people to, to be their best. And, you know, I mean, I, I know that fear only goes so far, but the reality is like people aren't scared of their jobs. And, and so I think there's just a, there's that little missing 10% that we're not getting most of the time because the Joneses want to be everybody's pal. Um, so the front office does a really, really good job. And I think that in many ways that the ownership group um, supports that in important ways. However, the kind of laissez-faire, no accountability, boys will be boys attitude that they bring to the table, I think is, is the thing that prevents the team from having the kind of requisite toughness that will allow them to, to gut out a game um, like the game against San Francisco, for example. They were, they were out physical, and I think that that, that really starts, frankly, um, with team culture, and that, that starts – um, when you have an when you have a lead, uh, an owner that's as involved as this as this ownership group is, um, that starts with the owners, right? Yeah, and I think you know we talked about a lot of that last in last week's show, and yes, but I think that one thing that I want to really make a point of uh, of of saying, and as we try to, you know, as we're prepared to just go go off on this front office when these big moves. Um, you know, are about to happen, which, you know, we're getting closer to, to, to this happening. I, I, I think that maybe we should take a deep breath maybe and, uh, just ask ourselves is, have they, have they really steered us wrong lately? You know, Will McLean company and, and as far as the choices that they have made, you know, with, when it comes to who they're keeping, uh, and who, who they're letting go, because, I have to say my answer is is no. I mean, they the last time I was upset, honestly, it was it was Dez, and I didn't really stay upset very long because I, you know, started learning 
some reasoning behind it. And in, in hindsight, I don't have any problems with it. You know, they, they knew exactly what they were doing. So I guess it's just hard for me to get too critical of their decisions that they make when it comes to these, these players, when they have a pretty good history of, you know, handling things the right way. So maybe some of this rationale that you've thrown upon me tonight is, you know, where their heads are. And, you know, maybe this won't end up as terrible as, as we think it's going to be. That's, it never ends up as terrible as we think or as good as we think. Right. So it's, it's almost always somewhere in between. I will say this, um, the, if we think about it, the last player who they let go, who really en- ended up continuing to be a good player, like, uh, you know, continue to play at an elite level where maybe they shouldn't have let him go. Uh, maybe it wasn't the right time to do that was DeMarcus Ware. You know, DeMarcus Ware, you know, sort of had a, a, a lovely sunset to his career in Denver. And obviously, you know, was a, he and Von Miller won that Super Bowl, and he, you know, he was he was sublime in, in that in that uh, during that season and during that playoff run. And so that's probably, that's the only. I mean, that's that to me is the only one where it's really evident that they they got it wrong or they maybe misjudged misjudged where the player was in his in his trajectory. You know, uh, I think it you know uh, where it had a couple of injury play years, and it seemed like he was on the on the downslope. I mean, he was on the downslope, but I think that they thought his his downward slope was more precipitous than it was actually this provides me with an opportunity for a question for you so we've talked a lot about the offense um now i've sort of been talking about demarcus Ware. we we had a chance to transition transition to defense and defensive end in particular and one of the other hot topics in cowboy land these days is what they're going to do with our dear tank lawrence so they're I, you know, we, we, we've talked about why they might get rid of, uh, of Amari Cooper and, and all the other sort of, you know, puzzle pieces on offense, but what about on defense? Like, so uh, what, what are you, what are you hearing and thinking about the, the scuttlebutt that they might be? I mean, we know, we know pretty securely that they asked um, DeMarcus Lawrence to take a pay cut and he refused. And so there's now a standoff. What do you think about all that? Yeah. I don't like this one, Rabs. I mean, I, we, you know, I could see a nice contingency plan for life without Cooper, but I do not think this Cowboys team is prepared to not have Demarcus Lawrence on this team. Uh, for something like that to happen, it would have to be like a full-on commitment. Like this is what we're going to do. Micah Parsons is going to be our number one edge rusher. Uh, we're going to try to surround them with some guy, maybe Gregory, for a little bit cheaper, and and maybe try to. Maybe they have their eyes on one of the guys coming in the first round, and they 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 figure they have a great chance of of landing one of them. But you know, Demarcus Lawrence is one of the most underrated players on this team, and you know I know he doesn't have the sack volumes, but you know what he does, and the you know the the, the amount of times that he you know, the win rate he has, um, you know the, the, his stats are pretty impressive over these last three four years. So it's um. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of cowboy um, writers, analysts that I have high respect for that are have this line of thinking where he is very undervalued, and I don't think people realize what we would be missing if we didn't have him. And I mean, edge rush is such an important position. I don't know how they they supplement it without without tank and. I don't know what they're thinking with this whole thing. And 
I, I can't imagine this ending well for the Cowboys if if they and, and it looks like they will. I mean, that's already even if he stays now, it's just it seems just like a like just like a nightmare situation. So I mean, I don't know what, where are you at with with Lawrence. I think I think on this one we're really strongly in agreement. I I, I don't like it one bit, and and from all the reasons you articulated, and I'll, I'll add a couple of others that I've been thinking about lately. One is that um, as others have said, I'm not. This is not my term, but he's uh, what they call a force multiplier. So like you know, he makes it uh, easier for everybody else to eat. So if we think about you know Robert Quinn's big year a couple of years ago. Um, Robert Quinn had a big year because they were sliding protections to to Marcus Lawrence's side all the time. And so Robert Quinn saw one-on-one matchups snap in and snap out. Um, This year, you know, uh, the the, the defensive line was actually doing really well all up and down the line. But one of the reasons they were is because, you know, DeMarcus DeMarcus Lawrence was, was drawing so much attention. He is an elite, elite run defender, one of the very best in the league. Um, and, and he's, I think he's the sort of beating heart and soul of the defense. He's the defense's, uh, conscience, et cetera. So I think getting rid of him, um, doesn't make sense to me. Now it would make sense to me a little bit more if they had already signed Randy Gregory to a multi-year deal. And, um, maybe they were going to do something like, you know, sign Dorrance Armstrong and who really came on last year and then try to target somebody in the first couple of days of the draft. That would make some sense to me. But given that they, but that Dorrance Armstrong and Randy Gregory are both free agents um, and it doesn't, I mean, I, I personally haven't heard anything um, to the effect that they are close with either of them in terms of a new deal. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Why at the second most important position on the field, pass rush more broadly conceived, um, do you get rid of your best player and do you just sort of evacuate your entire defensive defensive end room? Um, and if, if the answer to that is because we want to move Micah Parsons to defensive end, then I think that you are failing to, to utilize Micah Parsons to the best of his ability. I think obviously defensive end is an infinitely more important position than off ball linebacker. Um, the pick of Micah Parsons, if he'd remained an off-ball linebacker, would probably not uh, show value because he can rush the pass there as well as, well as he does. It, it's what made um, the pick so valuable. But I don't love the idea of him being an every every down defensive end. I, I think ultimately his value, not unlike we talked about Tony Pollard's value on offense, I think his value on defense is being that kind of change piece, you know, in some ways like uh, a a sort of linebacker version of Troy Palomalo, where he can rush them all over. He can freelance. Uh, he has such great instincts, you know, just uh, set up the defense so that he can freelance and, and do different things depending on what he sees. And it's much, much harder to do that at defensive end where, you know, you have to, you, you have so many responsibilities to set the edge and, you know, and, and play contain and all, all those sorts of things that um, I think will limit his abundant um, natural physical abilities. So, I'm with you. This one makes a lot less sense to me because this is one where I can, I can see the offense work operating just as well without Cooper um, or nearly as well. I can't see the defense operating nearly as well without Lawrence, unless they retain Gregory and maybe somebody else and draft, uh, you know, like uh, who's the other Michigan kid. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, Ojabu, uh, in in like round one, you know, or some something like that. If they're not going to do that, then it just feels like it's a really big hit. And I, I believe that the place where you limit other quarterbacks is in your pass rush. I mean, if you know, if we if we look at Philadelphia in seventeen, if we look at either of the New York Giants um, Super Bowl runs in in two thousand seven and two thousand eleven, they were okay teams that um, were carried by their defensive line against a bevy of you know, um, top flight quarterbacks in the playoffs. If you're going to win in the playoffs, you have to have a deluxe pass rush, or you have to have one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the game. Cowboys don't have one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the game. They have a really good quarterback who can win easily if he gets, if, if the pass rush helps um, neutralize the other quarterback. And if they're going to take away that element, then you're asking your quarterback to, to win games, you know, 44 to 41 in the playoffs, which is really hard against playoff caliber, te- caliber teams. Yeah, no, I, I. It's insane. It's insane. I don't understand it. No, I'm with you. I'm with the Rams. Uh, I don't know what the future holds with this, but it's not looking. It's not looking too promising for uh, for us in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I think all we can do is is hope that they come to their senses and and think about what the defensive line room looks like without Demarcus Lawrence and his influence and and his um his passion. You know, I mean, those dudes look up to him and admire him, and he he inspires them, and I think gets a lot out of them. Let me let me actually add one more thing that I think pertains to both Demarcus Lawrence and to Amari Cooper, and that is this. You know, we were talking a minute ago about the front office, and I think just like any other just like any other organization or institution, you can suffer trauma from your experiences, right? And I really feel like this front office it was deeply traumatized through the Romo injury years, let's say, let's say 13, 14, 15 and beginning of 16, you know, when, when Romo was finally developing into an elite quarterback, you know, he worked so hard for so many years on, on his skills and subtle, subtle little nuances that made his game better. We saw that come to full flower in 2014, but the reality was in 13, they lost in the playoffs because Romo couldn't, couldn't finish the year. Uh, they were hamstrung in the beginning of 14. 15 was a lost year because of Romo injuries. And then 16, obviously, they were gifted a miracle in a fourth-round rookie who came in and played like a, a the first overall pick in the draft. But um, they spent four years on tenterhooks being, being worried to death that their number one financial investment, but also the guy who, who gave them the best chance to win, would not be able to play. And I think that they hate that feeling so much that they are applying that to tank and to Amari because those guys missed games. And, and, and they're at a point in their, in their careers where the, the front office might be feeling like that they can't be relied on to play. And I think the front office just doesn't want to have to go through that. And maybe they don't have to pay for that. Maybe they don't have to pay for, for guys missing games, but I, I really believe that to some degree, their reactions to both Amari Cooper and Marcus Lawrence um, stem from all those years of, well, Romo play, is he going to play? Is he okay? And not knowing, and that not knowing is the worst. It's just the worst. And not, and knowing full well, if the guy can't play, you don't have a shot. Like you have no shot of beating the Eagles uh, in week, in, in the final week of the season with Kyle Orton as your quarterback. Right. Uh, or if you do, it's, a, it's, it's going to be a freaking miracle. And then you're going to get blown out in the first round of the playoffs anyway. Um, and so just, I think years of that has 
has traumatized the front office. And, and I think they're a lot less willing to deal with that than they were in the past. Well, it's got to be something like that because, you know, that's seems to be the direction they are going. And I don't know. It, it's going to be, you know, I know it's hard for a lot of fans, but this, you know, in a way, it's kind of like a, a challenge for all of us that get to, you know, try to figure things out and project how this team can push themselves through a Super Bowl. So it's, you know, it's it's it's, it's a new a new puzzle really for us, and you know, it's going to be it's going to be if the beginning of this offseason is any any indication, it's going to be a really crazy season for the Cowboys in 2022. I will say that hearing all the hand wringing and hearing everybody say, Oh, they're going to be, they're going to take a step back. They're not going to be any good. Um, actually makes me happy because it's almost every time that we hear that, that they end up being really good. So um, bring it on people. I want, I want to hear more of you say that they've, that they've, you know, they screwed the pooch and they have no chance this year because every time we say that they, they end up with a 12 and four, 13, three type of year. Yeah, so, yeah. well, that is all we have for today. Rabs. Uh, what do we got going on next week? I'm glad you asked. Next week, we're going to be, uh, we'll have a guest lecturer come in and it will be none other than the great one cool customer. Um, so we're going to do some meme busting. We'll take a look at the Cowboys behavior and free agency, play a couple of uh, games, et cetera. should be a good time because um, he always has a fresh perspective on the Cowboys and NFL football. Nice. I can't wait to hang out with OCC. But that is it for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogger Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write us a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, Cowboys Hot Topics, you know, favorite draft prospects, or when was the last time you were upset about a player the Cowboys released? Uh, let us know. Uh, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24. And Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. And we will catch you later. Last dismissed.